0: Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand
1: On Air. Hello and welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life, the program that takes well-being research off the page and into our lives. I'm Dr. Denise Quinlan, and today we're talking about how coaching can help support well-being. My guest today is Clive Leach from the UK, who works all over the world, supporting schools and organizations to build staff and student well-being. Good morning, Clive. We're delighted to have us with you. Welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life.
0: Thank you very much, Denise. I'm really happy to be able to join you.
1: You've been at the forefront of coaching as a strategy for well-being in education. Can you tell us about your approach to coaching and the work that you've been doing in this area?
0: Well, in terms of an approach, I mean, I, I guess that I feel in some ways I've always been a coach. It's just interesting when one reflects on one's life. I've been a youth worker. I've been a teacher. I've been a manager. I've been a leader. And I guess when I sort of reflect back over my life and think about when I was most satisfied in those roles it was always in a coaching capacity and how I know that is that um, in 2007 I was really fortunate to be able to study organizational coaching at the University of Sydney and I was introduced to the worlds of coaching psychology and positive psychology and for me it was just a, a, such an affirmation um, and a revelation to be honest that the sort of the methodologies and the approaches and the, the attitudes and the characteristics mm-hmm. and all the things that I've used throughout my career have been so much in line with the idea of coaching. My approach in that sense has, has been about looking at this integration of how we can use the science of well-being, you know, positive psychology, and its approaches uh, to provide an element space for having conversations with individuals and, and groups and Teams and actually even organisations, I'd argue, and help them to consider their levels of well-being, their levels of engagement, and try and get that balance right between how well we perform. Because you know, in the world, many many people are doing very very well in terms of their performance and their goal striving and their achievement and in their virtual commerce, but they're not actually doing so well in terms of how they feel. So, um, sort of my approach is is very much focused on this idea of how do we support people to both feel good in what they do and to function well and to sustain that. Um, Because even if we are in that magic place, it's very difficult to to, to stay there. Um, Absolutely, yeah. That's been my broad approach.
1: And Clive, if we think back to when you were working as a youth worker and a leader and a teacher, and you said you felt that what you were doing really was coaching, how would you characterize what you were doing? What makes it coaching?
0: My style had always been one of asking questions, um, focusing on areas of strengths, focusing on what's working well. I mean, when you're a youth worker, particularly young people, and and to be honest, even youth workers themselves can be so labelled um, in terms of what they don't bring, whether they're not professional enough or they haven't got academic qualifications or you know young people get labeled in all sorts of ways and I guess my approach is always trying to say well actually what do you bring you know whether you're a local community member wanting to do something valuable in your community you may not have a degree or an education as such but you bring heart you bring humor you bring compassion you bring creativity to help other people and that's so important you know so I think that it's it's that sense of Wanting to, say, notice what's going well with people and giving people opportunities, giving people an opportunity to believe that there is a a preferred future, a better future out there if they're not necessarily satisfied with the one they have, Um, and and to develop a sense of self-belief in in themselves that actually there's a big place and they have a right to go out there and make best use of it.
1: How does coaching do that? Tell us a bit more about, you know, is it the way that you're asking questions or are you helping them? Think about what they really want and their goals. What, what's going on in a coaching conversation?
0: Well, I think how coaching works, essentially, what I would come down to is that we're all different, we're all unique, we're all individual. And we, we'd say a lot in, in the positive psychology world, we talk about no one size fits all. So arguably, we know there's lots of different things that we can do, um, again, like focusing on our strengths or learning how to be more grateful or to developing our relationships, etc., that are likely to improve our levels of engagement and well-being but we're all actually different and i think that the first thing to say about coaching and coaching conversations is that they are focused and tailored to the individual it provides an individual with an opportunity to take a step back to hopefully feel safe and then obviously a coaching relationship a coaching Mm. um, framework is one that's designed to to make the help the coachee to feel comfortable to to open up and engage with the coach and to have an opportunity to reflect and think about Where am I right now? Where do I want to be? Um, What's working for me already? Um, What can I do more of? What isn't working? What might I need to change? And am I ready to change yet? Um, You know, maybe there's bits I'm prepared to work on, there's bits I'm not quite ready to do yet, but how do I get myself into that place where I can make some commitment to taking some action that's going to result in something different, something better, something more productive potentially that will help move me forward to, to, to where I want to be.
1: What I'm hearing is the sense of you're creating a supportive environment, you're acknowledging the strengths that the, and resources that the person already brings, and then that a really big part of this is you talk about moving forward, is helping the person clarify what it is they want to move towards and what strategies and steps might help them do that.
0: Yeah, and then, then there's that sense of accountability that the coaching relationship can bring to say, right, well, you know, you've committed to taking some action or trying things in different ways and let's now report back feedback and see what worked and and, and the other key, key thing i guess about having a, a, a coaching relationship and a coaching conversation is this attempt as coaches we make to, to be non-judgmental which is very difficult we're all judge, we're all judgmental we all have our views and our ideas but it's that being comfortable with with not being the expert it's being able to be comfortable to allow the coachee to be confident in, in their in their own judgment and that can be so powerful for people as well when they recognize that the choices and decisions they've made are theirs, that it's something which they have be motivated to do. And, I mean, the evidence shows that they're more likely to, to, to strive to, to achieve that.
1: And of course, Clive, the big difference here that I'm hearing between coaching and a therapeutic approach is that you're not focused on remediating a problem. You're thinking about the capacities the person has and helping them clarify their goals and supporting them to enable greater performance in what area they're working on, whether that's well-being or another area of accomplishment.
0: If I reflect on my coaching practice as it stands at the moment, I'm working with executives from many, many different professional backgrounds. I get to work in schools with school leaders and teachers. And occasionally I engage in coaching conversations with young people. I mean, my work with young people tends to be more workshop-focused rather than individual-focused. But the the fact is that inevitably a number of those people I engage with are going to be in distress of some sort. But they won't be distressed to the extent that they're needing clinical intervention. But sort of distress is is normal. I mean, life is full of pressure. Life is full of challenge. And it's how we are able to take a, a step back sometimes in that distress to recognize, actually, there's a lot of really good stuff going on here. And again, that stress, the pressure, the challenge is, is normal. When people are, are striving, when they're, when they're passionate, um, when they're committed and when they really want to do well, it's not actually very easy. So I think there's a really a, a fundamental point there that, of course, I work with people and we work with people who are great and they're doing well and they're feeling good and it's all fantastic and they want to do bigger and better. That's wonderful. Um, But I think for most people, at some stages in their lives, things do become very challenging. um, And it's about supporting people to normalise that and to to manage that in a positive and productive way that allows them to to get to where they want to go, Um, if that that makes sense.
1: Absolutely. I mean... We're all human and I'm smiling to myself as you're saying we all have challenges at some time. I'm thinking, gosh, even on a daily basis, you know, there are times where we get very disgruntled and tired and we have to just grind it out and get something done. It's not all wine and roses. And so what I'm really appreciating from what you're saying is the notion of the taking time out from a busy life to kind of step off the hamster wheel and actually go reflect a little on how am I doing, where am I at, am I heading in the right direction, are my strategies serving me well, which I think is really helpful.
0: I think that's the one thing. I think one of the most powerful elements of feedback um, we get as coaches and I certainly get regularly is people will say wow you know we never take the time to do this we, we so rarely take the time to take a step back and reflect we just get some perspective I mean perspective taking is a hugely important part of coaching conversations allowing someone to say well oh, it feels terrible it feels bad it feels whatever and actually at the end of an hour they they're able to take a step back and think well actually you know it isn't really nearly as bad as I was thinking it was and that, I'm able to see the movement forward, the positive potential, and I feel excited and energized to go on and do more.
1: That's such a gift to give, people. So what's your approach to using coaching with schools?
0: All right, yeah, yeah. So my approach to using coaching with schools, um, essentially my work in schools will initially normally focus around positive education and looking at the implication of well-being um, and positive mental health in, in school communities. So we're starting from the idea of helping people to understand what, 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 it, what it means to flourish, what, what, how we define flourishing and optimal functioning, um, the fact that you know, the positive psychology isn't simply about being happy, it's about being engaged, it's about achievement, it's about your physical and your mental health, etc. The approach is essentially one about well-being for the, for, the, for the school community. And what I always do then is to bring the notion of coaching into that work to help people to understand that, again, as I've touched on before, um, everyone, everyone is different. And so once we have a maybe a greater understanding of what well-being is and I have a greater understanding of my own well-being and the impact that might have on my performance and my ability to reach my goals and reach my potential, then uh, the coaching conversations, the coaching element, provides me with that space to reflect and to think about what does this actually mean for me? Um what am I doing well as I, as we've talked about before, and what action might I commit to doing that will help me to move forward in the pursuit of of my goals? So bringing the two constructs together in that way, I think is a really is a really powerful approach.
1: And in terms of the way that you're working with schools using coaching, is it are you providing direct coaching to staff, or are you training staff to act as coaches for each other?
0: It's a whole range of different approaches. And again, coming back to the one size, you know, it doesn't fit all, or no one size fits all. In some schools, the, the starting point has been coaching for the school leaders, and I think that's a really powerful approach. I think my ideal in any context would be to be able to work with the school leadership team first, particularly, obviously, the principal um, and, and the, the, sort of the, the the higher echelons of the school because I believe if they are able to see the value of coaching for themselves and the impact it has on their performance and their engagement and their own well-being, then they're much, much more likely to see the benefit throughout their school community. So I would always advocate if there was a possibility of getting the leadership team to buy into some time to understand a bit more about the whole sort of the positive education sort of that well-being and coaching work, would you start there? That often then leads into uh, work with the staff, with the the faculty, where we would start to look broadly at the power of coaching conversations. And certainly when I run whole school events, we very regularly include an an element of peer coaching activity within those sessions, which again is a a sort of, you know, like a, a, a guided activity that allows for some reflection time and some thinking and some commitment to action for individuals and some... Um, you know that that for that for planning.
1: Tell us a bit more about how that might play out, Clive, if you're doing say you're doing a whole day event and there's a, a peer yeah. coaching element. How is that set up and what instructions do people get?
0: Essentially if you imagine you've had a day focusing on wellbeing and then one of the one of the, the areas I might make reference to for example is the five ways to wellbeing at some point. We look at the idea of connecting positively, being active, uh, taking more notice. Um, to keep learning and to give. And we look at, we explore the five ways to well-being in some way. Um, And then towards the end of the day, what I would often do is create an opportunity for a a peer coaching exercise using the GROW model, using just a very simple model, which we know has been used in many of the evidence-based studies as a framework for coaching conversation.
1: Tell us what GROW stands for, for those of us who who don't know the GROW model.
0: Okay, so G stands for, for goal. So what, what's the, the goal for our, our coaching our coaching session? R stands for reality in terms of well, what am I doing at the moment? What's working? What's not working? And the reason we, we get people to focus on the reality often is because people's sense of reality is sometimes a little bit warped, that they think they're not doing as well as they could be, and they don't actually take a step back to think about what's working for them already. So it's about getting that, a, a better sense of perspective in terms of what's happening at the moment. O we call options, um, which is about starting to explore what else we might do to move forward to achieve our goal. Um, this is sort of the brainstorming session. Uh, the danger point here from, you know, from a coach training perspective is that the coach jumps in and tells the, the, the coachee what to do. But So it's giving the, the coachee that space to come up with some options for themselves. And W we call way forward, which is about... Um, what are you going to do next? And making a commitment to taking some action relating to, to, to their particular goal. So it's a, it's, a very, it's a very simple structure. So in the context of a, of, a, of a well-being day, like I'm explaining, we're not training people to be coaches. We're just using that as a framework to encourage a peer conversation. So, um, and I would encourage the coachee to choose a goal relating to one of the five ways to well-being. So if you were coaching me, for example, I might say, right, well, my goal is to be more active. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I do some exercise already, but there's things I would like to do more of. You would then encourage me to reflect on what I'm currently doing. Um, You'd then support me to come up with some options and possibly make a suggestion, which adds some value, but you're really encouraging me to sort of think about what I I could do differently. And then that last part is to focus me on some commitment to some action. And then we encourage people to to follow through. So after the event, you know, we encourage the, the peer coaches to follow through with each other to, to see whether they've been able to com- commit and complete the actions they've agreed. But it gives people a flavor. But the other key thing I just want to say here, which is important, is that if we look at the development of relationships in organizations, I mean, we know through the work of um, Kim Cameron at the University of Michigan Center for Positive Organizations that, you know, thriving organizations are founded on the quality of the connections and the relationships in those organizations. And my argument is, is that a coaching conversation, even a 10 or 15 minute coaching conversation, is an act of kindness on the part of the coachy. So the coach sorry the coach, the coach is providing 10 or 15 minutes of their time. The coach themselves are hopefully being present uh, and being in the moment with their coachy, which is actually good for the coach themselves. It's a great way for people to engage in listening. It's a great way to identify again what's working well, what's strengths. And what I notice very often is the emotional energy in the room shifts and enhances in terms of people getting a greater sense of pride and curiosity and gratitude and joy and amusement, you know. So actually, so the act of the coaching conversation is a well-being intervention in itself for both the coach and the coachee. And that's how I try and sell it to people. It's a real win-win activity.
1: Clive, I love your work. I think, you know, this is so rich. And as somebody who does a lot of work in schools already, the bit that really excites me is that by adding the framework and formality of coaching to these peer conversations, we hopefully enable people to take a step back and stay in the coach role and avoid them, giving advice or telling other people what to do.
0: And that's the key thing is they try to suspend. You know, I, I say to people, what do you think is the difference between a coaching conversation and all the other conversations we have? Because we're engaging in conversations all day long with people, yeah? And, and, and normally what it boils down to, hopefully, when, you know, and I don't tell people, I ask people these questions, is that, okay, we've been present. We are listening. We're not telling people what to do, yeah? We're trying to suspend our own agenda that that's, that's that feels different it feels different for the person for the coach and it feels different for the coachee and and normally it's it's a positive difference which is what it's all about
1: i'm very excited about it because i'm hearing on one hand it's a tool to help schools learn more about and support their own support their learning on well-being and at the same time it's also its own positive intervention that's helping to enhance the relationships, the the high qual to build the high quality connections that we know are important to build trust and psychological capital. In your experience, are schools tending to use coaching more for staff, or are they doing it with students as well? In
0: my experience, so there's a whole different. There's a so many different um, examples. Um, there are certainly schools where they're recognising the value of coaching for their school leaders, which I think is wonderful. And I think, you know, to be, to be a school leader and not to have a coach, I just think it's is, is such a, a tragedy, to be honest. I think that it's, it's, it's so worth the investment, whether it's from an individual, whether it's, it's an individual perspective or an organisational perspective. Um, so, so it almost defeats me thinking, I mean, I, and I could ask, I've I, engaged with many, many head teachers in quite large groups, and you know, I think even recently I've asked quite a large number how many people, how many, how many, how many said how many, how many of you are thinking or or, or are you doing work around coaching in your schools? And quite a significant number of hands went up, maybe 40 percent, quite a large number. Then I said, how many of you have got a coach? How many of you have a coach? And a far less number of hands went up. Mm. And that's my point, isn't it? It's like so you're 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 recognising that actually coaching is a valuable potentially valuable tool in your organization and yet you're not actually experiencing yourself. Mm. Yeah, I think it's and that's that's a wake-up call I think for for head teachers is really important.
1: As regards the schools that are actually doing coaching, how is it working for them and what are they telling you about it?
0: So there are schools that are focused on coaching within their leadership teams, within their faculties. There's a number of schools I work with and many schools out there that have coaches who are uh, trained coaches within their school community. They'll identify those who want to coach. I mean, again, you can't force someone to become a a coach. It's got to be something people would would want to do. Um, And they're obviously supporting, um, you know, sort of coaching within uh, within, within their faculties. Number of schools um, I'm aware of are supporting coaching activity between teachers uh, and school leaders and students, so they're building coaching conversations into their regular work with their student community. So, one one example that you'll probably be hearing more about, you know, is is where they've we're um, working with their year ten school community, and each student has coaching sessions with uh, a member of staff to focus on both their well-being and their achievement in school and then there are schools that are looking at uh, peer coaching where they're supporting their students to coach each other um, so I went to a fantastic presentation recently um, with a school who are doing work with their year 12s and they're providing an eight-week um, training program for a selection of year 12s who've applied formally to become mentors stroke coaches and have taken them through a really thorough training program to actually then coach uh, the year seven community who are coming, and they've again targeted young people in year seven who you know they feel would benefit from the idea of actually having some some peer coaching, and and they've actually included some initial measurements around um, uh, re- resilience, uh, the Beck Inventory. Uh, one of the other schools that I've been working with have been using the, the Mental Toughness Questionnaire and the OR, or um the Autism awesome Schools and um, Wellbeing Report, you know, to get try and get some baseline measures for both well-being and, and, and resilience. Um,
1: yeah. So there's a lot happening. And totally. if I was a sceptical principal and you were sitting in my office and I said to you, why coaching? What, what aspects of the well-being process or building whole school well-being? What aspects of building whole school well-being can this help with? What would you say?
0: I say all aspects. To be honest, I think it's. I mean, I, I, well, I would. I mean, I think that you know, the, the coaching allows sort of individuals to think about where they sit. You know, what's working for for them. I mean, you know, even things like the, the the Perma survey that looks at positive emotion, engagement, relationships, meaning, accomplishment, and health. You know, having a simple tool like that that allows an individual to say, right, well, actually, what, how am I going in relation to my experience of positive emotions? Are the practical things I can do that would allow me to, to, to boost that sense of positivity that the evidence tells us is going to be be good for both our engagement and and our well being. Mm. So I think it can. But uh, well, I think relationships is a key one. I think that I think the the potential. And we hear a lot about the idea of creating coaching cultures. And yeah, you know, we haven't got time to go into all that. But what is a coaching culture? Um, <clears throat> and yeah, you know, I think we define a coaching culture by a place that creates the space where those type of conversations are valued and time is endorsed. It's very still difficult to find it. Even if people give time for coaching, doesn't mean it's easy to actually find the time and make sure you commit to the time. But I think where it's seen as important and where it's seen as valuable, um, it can be really powerful.
1: Lovely, thank you. If you could only do one thing for the rest of your life to support well-being, mm. what would it be? Um,
0: that's an interesting question. That and there's so many things you could choose, but I think it would have to be. And what I've tried to do over the last ten years now is spread the word about the evidence base for coaching. I think that that for me was the the biggest revelation back in two thousand seven, two thousand and eight, that there is an evidence base that coaching conversations can have such a powerful impact. I, I know fundamentally it's true because I've been. Privilege to work with so many people i mean i can even tell you stories even this last week some of the feedback i've had from people who i worked with literally 10 years ago who have come back to me this week to talk about the impact that had on them you know you can't you can't bottle that stuff to be honest well um, that,
1: that and, must fuel your motivation to keep going
0: well, well absolutely i mean i can't tell you you know it's it's, uh, it's 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 lovely and but it is that sense that people need to understand what what coaching is but also the fact there is an evidence base behind it that we we are able to say that, you know, an investment in uh, this approach can have such, such such value for both adults and young people. And I think that's mm-hmm. the other important thing that, you know, it's um, it, it, it works in, in, in both camps. But, you know, as we always say, if you're an educator or, or, or a parent, start with yourselves first. And another quick one on that, that one of the schools I work with, did do some work with parent, on parent coaching and ran a parent coaching um, program that we, we did some like a two-day workshop, and the parents then followed on with a program on mindfulness, uh, strengths use, and coaching. Um, and and they—that uh, was uh, they had some measure, measurements involved in that, and um, in, uh, decreases in stress and anxiety came through, and increases in levels of well-being from a parent worked, a parent program.
1: And so, on that program, Clive, were the parents coaching each other?
0: Yeah, it was a peer, peer, parent coaching. Yeah, nice. And then the idea of being. That you know, they were trying to again look at ways to shift the nature of some of the conversations between parents. I mean, parents are wonderful people, but they can wind each other up too, very much so. You know, <laughs> and it's so that it's, so when parents are struggling around, you know, their own well-being or the well-being of their children, whatever the challenges and, and the options might be, uh, having conversations which are solution-focused, which are constructive, which are, are not you know create making the problem sound worse. <clears throat> they're actually sort of there. Um, to support parents to think about, well, what can I, you know, what potential do I have to, to, to resolve these challenges and um, what resources do I have available to me?
1: This is such lovely work. I, I love the power of rather than just giving parents an engagement session to actually get them working together in a more constructive way. Mm. What's your go-to strategy for boosting your well-being when you're frustrated or down?
0: I'm going to be really honest with you. Um, that's what it's about isn't it we've got to be we've got to yeah. look at it. the one that I would like to do more that I haven't done much of yet which is awful um is 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 the one about being active it's about being more physically active it's always and I'm a coach you know but we walk our own Achilles heel none of us are perfect and I'm certainly not perfect and the one I always and I bring this up regularly so when we when I when we talk about the five ways to our being um, for example, I always use myself as an example and say that I can look at those five ways to well-being and I can tick many of those boxes. And I am very proactive; uh, I am proactive about my well-being. And but the one, the one that often drops off my to-do list is the be active, is the is the being active. And I think what's what's really important and the why I'm saying this is that from a, a perma perspective, and again, your listeners will be familiar with perma. Um, there's been a lot of moves over the last what was it now, probably five or six years, to bring the H onto PERMA, you know, which yeah. is about the, the diet, the exercise, the mindfulness, etc. cetera, um, that actually looking after our physical well-being is obviously is really important for our capacity to flourish. And it is the one that I always struggle with. Um, and,
1: like, we often talk about PERMA-V, and you can do it on your hand, and the space between your thumb and your first finger makes a V. And V is vitality, which we describe as eat, sleep, move. Yes. In terms of being active, what's something that you would like to do?
0: I've moved, I've moved to Sussex, as you, as you may remember. I, I said I've moved on to the south coast. I am five, literally five minutes, because I timed it the other day, from the South Downs. And I can see them out, out my window now. So the South Downs is five minutes walk away. And so what I'm committing to do is, uh, it was a beautiful walk. It takes an hour. Um, it goes over the a beautiful medieval sort of they cistern ring. Um, it has an amazing 360 degree view of the coast. And my plan, and I've done it once, so I'm, I'm starting, is to regularly do that walk um, because it's uphill for a good half an hour. You've got a flat bit, and then you've got the nice bit coming back down again. So that's going to be my uh, that's going to be my be active my my be active Aww. goal.
1: And Clive, in the spirit of coaching and accountability, I'd like you to promise to email me in a month's time and tell me how many times you've done it. I
0: will. Well, I hope that I'll (laughs) see you in July. Yeah.
1: We'll see you in July and you can let me know. Clive, thank you so much for talking to us today. I know that everybody will really appreciate it. And I'm really hoping that this is a conversation that as many education leaders and educators as possible get to hear.
0: Okay, well, thank you very much, Denise, and uh, good luck with all your fantastic work too. So thank you.
1: Thanks for being here. You've been listening to Bringing Wellbeing to Life on ORFM Dunedin. If you'd like to learn more, our book, The Educator's Guide to Whole School Wellbeing is available from nziwr.co.nz from early 2020. You can also listen to a podcast of this show on oar.org.nz, on nziwr.co.nz, and you can also subscribe to Apple Podcasts. I'm Dr. Denise Quinlan. Thank you for listening. To learn more about the latest research and practice in school well-being, join us at the Wellbeing in Education Conference in Christchurch from the 2nd to the 4th of April and Auckland from the 6th to the 7th of April 2020. For more information, go to nziwr.co.nz or conference.co.nz forward slash wenz20. Take FM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple
0: App Store. This program was first broadcast on FM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.